to the Mariners podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0, and the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Ooh, all right, where do we start? Today we are going to talk about uh, yesterday's game, uh, Bryce Miller against Nathan Eovaldi in Texas against the Rangers. Mariners get swept out of Texas, uh, which you probably already know unless you've been sleeping under a rock. Mariners are outscored in this series 30-9. to uh, Bryce Miller got lit up uh, in the uh, third inning. Uh, it was a brutal series for sure. Um, today we're going to talk about yesterday's game. We're going to talk a little bit about the series. We're going to talk a little bit about young pitching and what young pitching means. We're going to go over the Mariners offense. Uh, we're going to talk about what the Mariners offense maybe should do or what Jerry DePoto could do in order to uh, get the offense rolling. Um, maybe a little bit about uh, who the Mariners have that they could trade. Uh, tomorrow uh, before the San Diego Padres series, we'll review or we'll uh, preview the two games set in San Diego, but we'll also go over some potential uh, trades that the Mariners could make. Uh, Today's going to be a little bit more of an overview. So with that, uh, you know, everything in Seattle right now is exploding about uh, Jerry DePoto screwed up. How come he didn't make more moves in the offseason? How come uh, the Mariners didn't spend more money? The Mariners, it came out last week. It was beautiful timing that uh, the Mariners were the most profitable team in Major League Baseball last year. I don't fault the Mariners for being profitable. I, for one, and I'm I'm definitely in the minority in this, I don't necessarily fault them for not spending money either. We went through this a couple of pods ago. What was available on the free agent market was primarily shortstops. Those shortstop cost anywhere from 177 to 300 plus million dollars. I understand it's not my money. I also believe in being fiscally responsible with regards to your team four, five, six, seven, eight years out. And in my mind, Trey Turner, Xander Bogertz, Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson were not good investments for this particular team. Um, again, that's me. I know I'm in the minority. What I have liked to have seen a Michael Conforto um, left-handed bat, experienced left-handed bat sign, sure. I think that would have helped. Josh Bell would have helped. But I don't think that there was that bat on the market to really help the Mariners turn the corner offensively. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, so this particular game, as I said, was Bryce Miller against Nathan Eovaldi. Uh Nathan Eovaldi is a veteran 33-year-old starting pitcher. Uh, he clearly knows how to pitch. He throws five pitches, and it showed, right? His location is where... His location and his pitch mix was where the experience showed up. It's where you started to understand the difference between a Brian Wu, uh, Bryce Miller type young pitcher with a uh, plus fastball versus your grizzled veteran starting pitcher like a Nathan Eovaldi who understands how to work counts, who understands what pitch to throw in what situation. And it showed. Um 
So in the first inning, the Mariners, uh, Jerry Kelnick let off. Surprisingly, he got two fastballs to hit. Uh, I'm on record saying, I don't know why you would throw Jerry Kelnick a fastball. I know he was trying to be patient being in the leadoff spot. He was leading off because JP Crawford has a banged up knee. Uh, but he ended up getting the two fastballs to hit and then wasn't able to, and then took a splitter for strike three. Uh, Eovaldi's split is pretty nasty. Um, you don't often see splitters, uh, being taken for, for strikes, but you know, it's an example of a young hitter like Kelnick being in between. You know, I don't think he was expecting to see two fastballs. He's probably a little thrown off. Um, but I would have liked to have seen him be a little bit more aggressive in that particular at-bat. Uh, Julio hit a low strike for a 6-3 ground out on the second pitch of the at-bat. And then Ty France had a nice six-pitch at-bat. But what is interesting about the Ty France at-bat to me was that Ivaldi every pitch that Eovaldi threw was low. And it was very clear that that was their scouting report on Ty France all series long was to to keep the ball low and to not throw him a ton of strikes because he knew he was going to chase. Eovaldi ended up throwing 12 pitches in this at-bat. And if you're going to allow a, you know, mid to top of the rotation starter veteran to throw 12 pitches in an inning, it's going to be a long day. Um, I, I think that... You know, part of this is Julio's aggressiveness. He needs to continue to be aggressive, but the Mariners need to get deeper into the starter, the starter's pitch count early and consciously take pitches and consciously foul pitches off to try to get into the bullpen. Um, bottom one, uh, Bryce Miller, uh, I, what I have in my notes is that his sequence to Marcus Simeon, who led off was pretty funky. So started with the fastball. He threw two sliders, but then Simeon doubled on a uh, sweeper. And what I didn't like about the sequence is you went from hard to uh, softer to 80 miles an hour. And you essentially sped up Marcus Simeon's bat by, by throwing that sweeper after throwing two sliders. So he's seen the, he's seen some movement on the pitch, a little bit of bend. And when you slow it down, it's much easier for him to see. Of course, the sweeper is going to have a little different movement, a little more movement. But at that point in time, you've gotten his eyes and his reaction to a place where he can see that pitch coming. The only way I could see this justified is that Marcus Simeon is the type of hitter that really does like to get way out in front of the pitch and yank it to left field. That's how he's hit for power because his exit velocities aren't great. So maybe the thought process was he was going to be so far out in front after seeing those sliders that there's no way that he was going to keep the ball fair. But in my mind, again, that's not something that I would preach or do is to go from fastball to slider to sweeper, unless that sweeper is way out of the strike zone. So that's a sequencing example that I would like to see corrected. Uh, Simeon's on second. Corey Seager works a six-pitch walk. It's pretty clear in this moment that Bryce Miller couldn't find the strike zone. Uh, he's probably a little nervous pitching um, in front of family and friends in Texas. So you've got the first two batters get on. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe hitting third, uh, struck out on a questionable strike three, three straight fastballs. And then five straight fastballs to Adelise Garcia, who was called out on strike three. So now you have two outs, two runners on. He's just thrown um, at minimum 
eight straight fastballs to the last two hitters. And then he threw six straight fastballs to Josh Young, walked him to load the bases. Um, he had two strikes on Young. And then the last three pitches of that at bat were all fastballs that were outside. And it was, in my mind, what I saw was Bryce Miller overthrowing. He really was trying to strike out Josh Young to, to end the inning. And he overthrew those three pitches. Next batter, Jonah Heim, two fastballs. Second one was middle-middle. Uh, Heim hit a two-run single opposite field to left field. It was 76-5 off the bat, so not hard hit. It was a bit unlucky on Miller's part, uh, drove into. Uh, location wasn't great, but, again, it wasn't a hard hit ball. And then uh, went fastball, fastball slider to Mitch Garver um, to get the third out. But, again, there was some sequencing issues at the beginning, I believe, with Marcus Simeon. The Mariners may disagree with me. And then it looked to me like Miller just started to really lean on that fastball after that. Uh, Mariners in the second inning looked a little bit better. Uh, Cal Raleigh had a six-pitch at-bat where he took the first two pitches. He fouled off a, a, a pitch really deep, uh, fouled right field, and ended up flying out to center. Uh, it was a hittable pitch. I think he could have done damage with it. He did hit it 366 feet. And then a six-pitch at-bat for uh, a Eugenio Suarez. Flew out to center, but a very quality at-bat. Tell Hernandez, six-pitch at-bat. Um, and then Mike Ford, a uh, seven-pitch at-bat. And so what I see here is uh, – so I should say, go back to tail. Six-pitch at-bat, everything was low. I think tail matching up against a pitcher like uh, Eovaldi is good for him because Eovaldi doesn't have a whole lot of horizontal movement on his pitches. A lot of his stuff is is uh, up and down, the splitter, the fastball. He does throw – a cutter, but the, even the cutter has doesn't have a ton of uh, horizontal movement, and so for Tail, he doesn't have to worry as much about chasing that outside slider and having it bend away from him. So I think this was a good matchup for him. He ends up tripling the right center. Uh, it was one hundred four three off the bat. He uh, at least Garcia looked like he pulled up lane for a minute. He probably cramped up, but nice at bat for Tail Hernandez. And then Mike Ford had a seven-pitch at-bat. He had pitches to hit, um, but not a single fastball was thrown. He ended up popping up to Corey Seager. I liked this second inning for the Mariners. I think this is more of what you want to see from the Mariners' working counts. Cal Raleigh, six pitches. Uh, Gino six pitches. Teo, six pitches. Mike Ford, seven pitches. That's a 25-pitch inning for Nathan Eovaldi. That's more than twice as many as he threw in the first inning in that. To me, those are good signs. Uh, bottom two, Bryce Miller, you know, got through the inning pretty easily. Uh, got Gro- got Robbie Grossman on a ground out to second. You got Travis Jankowski on a ground out to second. It was a really nice play, actually, by Colton Wong in the hole between he and Ty France. And then he got Marcus Simeon um, to fly out to left field on a middle-middle fastball on the first pitch. It did... Looked like the kind of pitch that Simeon could have hit out. He was clearly frustrated, but Bryce Miller gets out of that inning. Um, Top third, uh, I can't say enough about Jose Caballero. I just, I don't think his numbers are ever going to be great. And I think that as long as he's a starter, the Mariners are going to continue to want to try to upgrade at that position. But 
he just he's spicy and he brings a little bit of of funk and fire to the team and I think they need it. Um that he brings a little nastiness. He ended up getting hit on the seventh pitch of the at bat to lead off. Uh Colton Wong grounded out to third um in the next at bat. What I liked on this play again was Caballero looked like a hit and run. And Caballero kept running um, as he rounded second, as the third baseman threw to get to first to get Colton Wong out. Is this one of those really aggressive plays? It looked like Little League, but um, it's not something you see out of the Mariners all the time. And that kind of aggression, I think, is going to prove to be a good thing. Uh, Jared Kelnick came up, runner on third, one out. Um, he took a curveball low and inside for a strike. Uh, he swung at a splitter that was down um, for a swinging strike. And then he swung at a 95 mile an hour fastball that was up and out of the zone for strike three. Um, I bring, I talk about this at bat because this was an example of what a veteran like Nathan Eovaldi can do compared to, let's say, Brian Wu or Bryce Miller. In this at-bat to Kelnick, which is right-handed pitcher against left-handed hitter, he went curveball, splitter, fastball up. And so he went to two secondaries as the first two pitches to get the first two strikes. This is something that we have not seen from Miller or Wu, and it's what I think is going to be their either their downfall or the thing that they improve upon in order to become – really quality, legit major league starters. It's Bryce Miller in this game, you know, getting his slider over or his sweeper over, you know, we haven't even really seen the changeup yet. Those are pitches he's going to need to keep hitters off of the fastball. The fastball is elite, yes, but it will become a an even more effective pitch if he's able to get strikes with other pitches. We saw the same with Wu. Wu was um, his Primary issue was location, but even if he starts to locate the fastball better, he's going to need to get uh, his secondary pitches over. So I just, I think that this at bat against, for Kelnick against Eovaldi was just a clear example of why experience matters, why secondary pitches matter, why, you know, I think the Mariners have been phenomenal at teaching fastball and, you know, uh, arm slot and, spin on the fastball and slider, both gyro and sweeper. Mariners clearly can do that, right? Any Everybody coming out of the system is able to do that. But do you have that secondary pitch to neutralize left-handed hitters? Be it a changeup, a splitter, maybe even a cutter, but they clearly need something else, and that needs to happen quickly for both Wu and Miller if they're going to succeed. Uh Next batter was Julio. He swung out a splitter that was low on, on the outer half of, of the plate for strike one. And then he ended up getting jammed on 96 miles an hour up and in to ground to, uh, to, for a ground out to, uh, first base. Again, demonstration of a really smart pitcher. You get Julio lunging out at a splitter low and outside for strike one. And then you go up and in. That was another thing I saw from the Mariners. And it'll, it'll lead me to uh, the bottom of the third inning. You don't see Miller or Wu consciously coming inside with fastballs. And if the slider is to be effective low and outside, you can't let 
the hitter lean out over the strike zone and feel so comfortable. And that's what I think with Julio, that's why he got jammed was he was started to lean and he got jammed up and in. So of course, bottom three, Corey Seager leads off. You go fastball up and in for a strike, beautiful pitch right on the corner. You go change up blowing in. And then on an 0-2 count, Bryce Miller, instead of having a secondary that can be a knockout pitch, whatever that might be, right, he ends up throwing 94 middle-middle. And clearly he didn't mean to go middle-middle on a um, 0-2 pitch. But the days of wasting an 0-2 pitch to set up the next pitch seem to be gone. You know, anything that that would have not been in the strike zone just to test. You know, of course, Seager has a good eye, right? I get that. But not middle-middle. So he grooves the 94-mile-an-hour pitch straight down the middle. It's 107.3 off the bat from Seager. Straightaway center, 435 feet. You just – you can't do that, right? You can't do that as a major league pitcher. Um, then six straight fastballs to Nate Lowe. Three were strikes. He fought off the inside pitch 3-2 for a single to right field. Uh First pitch slider to that was a low strike to Adelise Garcia. Um gets hit over Julio's head, 109 off the bat for a double. I found that interesting. Again, sequencing issues with the Mariners because after five straight fastballs to Adelise Garcia in the bottom of the first for a strikeout, the Mariners started this at bat with the slider. And so they got cute, right? If Garcia, of course, Garcia is probably anticipating fastball because he got five straight in the first inning. But if you struck him out on five straight fastballs, why are you trying a different pitch? Why not continue to see if he can't hit Bryce Miller's fastball? So in my in my notes, I said that they got cute. I didn't like the sequencing. I would have liked to seen them continue to throw him fastballs until he proved that he could hit Bryce Miller's fastball. Josh Young, five pitch at bat, um, single at 106-2. He threw uh, a slider and then four straight fastballs to him. He had an 0-2 count on Young, but couldn't get the strikeout. Is Again, clear need for a, a, a secondary pitch or a wipeout secondary pitch. I think if he was confident in his slider, he would have he thrown one 0-2 or 1-2. Um, the first and third, uh, Jonah Heim pops out. And then Mitch Garver hits an RBI double to right center. Uh there were uh, three of the four pitches he threw to Garver were outside. Again, I, I feel like if you're going to be a fastball slider pitcher against right-handed against right-handed hitters, you need to come up and in with the fastball and low and away with the slider. So at that point, it's 5-0 Rangers. And then Robbie Grossman, uh, two RBI double on a fastball that was in the outer half of the zone. So at this point, I think Miller's just done. And grooving pitches, frust- clearly frustrated. Um, Gabe Spire comes in, uh, for Miller and closes out the inning. You know, you're, you're sitting seven, nothing now. And in the third game of a series where you've already lost the first two, the Mariners clearly were, were frustrated and down. Um, I don't have a ton else on this game. I think the, the whole story was, uh, Bryce Miller and pitch sequencing and his lack of secondaries. Uh, I did like, uh, Again, Tail Hernandez in the top of the fifth, seven pitch at bat. He did strike out, but I love the fact that he that he saw seven pitches. Um, 
Mike Ford in the top of the set, the top of the fifth was robbed by Travis Jankowski on a, uh, a drive to right center. Jankowski went way over the fence to, to rob him. Uh, Mike Ford's had some quality at bats as well. I don't know if he is a permanent major leaguer, but I don't think he's doing a bad job as of, as of now. Uh, top six, Colton Wong, seven pitch at bat, like that too. Um, he's putting together some quality at bats now. He doesn't look quite as lost at the plate. Um, there was one pitch from, uh, Matt Brash is vicious. And if Brash is, is fighting the zone, um, man, I don't, I don't know if there is a pitcher in the major leagues with nastier stuff than Matt Brash. He threw a cutter to Robbie Grossman that was 95 at the knees that Grossman, uh, grounded to second in the bottom of the fifth that was just like a 95 mile cutter with that kind of movement is was disgusting and uh i i i don't know he's one of those guys that i i can't quit even if he's terrible at times i just can't quit him uh bottom six mariners brought in trevor got to replace matt brash uh he ended up giving up five runs in this inning uh it's pretty ugly i don't know that got was you know he just wasn't locating uh, and after that, it was, you know, kind of smooth sailing for, uh, for the Rangers. The only other real note I have is that, you know, Matt Festa replaced Trevor Gott. And I wonder about the viability of Matt Festa as a major leaguer. Uh, he did start, he started to throw a cutter, um, because he wasn't effective against left-handed hitters. He learned that cutter in the minor leagues before he came back up. Uh, so now he's fastball sweeper cutter, but his fastball doesn't really have the velocity I think that's needed for him to be effective as a relief pitcher for the Mariners. Um, I expect uh, Festa to be one of the first cuts when uh, Munoz comes um, back from injury. So again, Mariners lose 12-3, uh, surrender 15 hits. Mariners, Mariners uh, had eight hits in this game. They're outscored 30 to nine in the series. Uh, it was pretty ugly. Uh, Ty France went two for four. Teo had two hits. No one else had more than one hit for the Mariners. Bryce Miller's final line was two and a third innings, eight hits, seven runs, two walks, two Ks. Uh, followed by Gabe Spire, Matt Brash, Trevor Gott, who got lit up a little bit too, five runs in an inning, Matt Festa, and then Justin Topa at the end of the game. Of note with Bryce Miller, uh, his velocity was down across the board. Um, fastball average velocity was down 0.6 miles an hour, averaging 94.5. Uh, the spin was down slightly on all of his pitches, uh, was down a lot more on the changeup, but that's not really of concern, uh, to me. But the movement on all of his pitches was up slightly as well. So that, again, that's to be expected when you, um, reduce velocity. The one, the one big concern in my mind is on 29 swings uh, from against Bryce Miller, he only generated three whiffs. And if he's not going to get swing and miss um, and he's going to rely upon contact for outs, that's not necessarily a, a great recipe in 2023. So I don't know, TBD on, uh, on Bryce Miller as to the vi his viability as a starter for the Mariners in 2023. I do think it's not out of the question um, to think about the Mariners sending Miller back down to 
work on a uh on his on his secondary pitches. I have no doubt his fastball will be an incredible pitch in the major leagues. I still think it's a double plus fastball, but it has to be set up by something else. And right now there is nothing else. Uh I like the vi- the the visual of the slider and the changeup I like. Curveball as well, but they're not effect they haven't been effective yet and um he just he really needs to work on them and become confident in them and one of these pitches needs to be a pitch that he can use against left-handed hitters and as of right now you would assume that'd be the changeup but he's not confident enough in it yet so I hate to be the bearer of bad news but that's where I'm at with Bryce Miller um I think the Mariners will continue to roll him out at least for a while because there aren't a ton of viable alternatives unless you are a uh, believer in Chris Flexen, of which I'm not. Um, and then again, the difference between Miller, a Miller or Wu versus Eovaldi with five pitches being able to locate, or, you know, we talked about George Kirby and his pinpoint location, um, Luis Castillo and his location. That's, that's really the next step for all of them. They clearly have very good stuff or elite stuff, but the next step has to be that secondary pitch and um, being able to locate. Uh, So Mariners scored nine runs in this series. I do believe the six runs on Saturday should have been enough to win despite surrendering 16. I just, you know, Mariners score six runs with their pitching. They should win. Uh, What do they do about this offense? Right? So the offense has been sputtering and clearly there's no real, offensive second baseman on this roster. Uh, I think most of the other positions, if you were to upgrade, you would have to give up a significant um, asset to do so. Uh, what is That brings me to what the Mariners did in this offseason. I, for one, I like the moves. I think if you were going to be critical of the moves that they made, and by, make, by moves they made, I mean trading Eric Swanson and... Uh, and uh, Adam Mako for um, Teoscar Hernandez. I think I said Dylan Lesko, but I was thinking about the Padres uh, uh, pitching prospect when I said it last pod. Um, so there was the Teoscar trade in which they gave up a, a good leverage reliever and a young pitcher who probably was going to end up in relief. Signing Colton Wong or trading for Colton Wong didn't really give up any real assets. You know, they got rid of Winker's contract uh, and traded Abraham Toro and uh, signing AJ Pollock. So let me go through these three real quickly and explain why I like these moves and why I think they were the right moves um, outside of maybe being all of these players being a little bit old. Uh, So Teo last season in Toronto at 267, 316, 491, and had an 807 OPS. He had a WRC plus of 129. So his weighted runs created was 29% better than league average. The previous season, he was a 132 WRC plus, and in 2020, he was a 142 WRC plus. Since 2018, his home run total has been 22, 26, 16 in the COVID year of 20. 32 and 21 and 25 last year. He doesn't walk much. He's never run a double digit walk rate, but he hits the ball incredibly hard. So you're talking about a run producer 
who's going to hit 20 plus home runs, probably in the mid twenties, who runs pretty high averages. Typically, you know, he, well, he's been up and down, excuse me. So in 21, he hit 296 in 22, he hit 267 this year. He's hitting 241, but he's a right-handed. He's a very prototypical right-handed power hitting right fielder who barrels the ball, double digit barrel rates every year since 17 hard hit rate in in 22 of 52.7, which is very, very good. Um, he's a professional, right? He's not going to have a ton of range in right field, but he's going to play as a strong arm. He's going to play a consistent right field. He's what you traded for. And I just, I think it's hard to be critical of that move. And I, and I fully expect Taylor Hernandez to end up with 25 home runs and probably close to a hundred RBIs. That's what you traded for. That's what you have. He's running a 3.7% walk rate as of right now. I do think he struggled out of the gates, but before we dismiss this move as being horrible and want to replace Taylor Scar Hernandez, remember it's baseball. It's a 162 game season. He's played 59 of those games so far. He's a professional and he's a badass one. So I just, this particular move, I still like. I, you gave up two relief pitchers, which the Mariners can basically mass produce relief pitchers at this point in time. To me, this was a, a really, really smart move. I'm not critical of it at all. Um, this to me was a stroke, not a stroke of genius, but it was a, a, a this is a plus in the, uh, the pro column for Jerry DePoto. The Colton Wong move. I do believe there's some room for criticism with this move. Um, I think that the Mariners saw him as a uh, plus defensive uh, second baseman who is able to, who has a, a, you know, an average to slightly above average uh, hit tool, hit for some power and steal some bags. According to fan graphs, he was a plus defender at second from 18, 2018 through 2021 and he regressed last year, and he's regressed again this year. Um, Wong is 32 years old. Uh, I don't know. He's probably I would consider him an average second baseman defensively at this point in time. Um, but what Colton Wong was for years was a player who was able to get on base and score some runs. So here are Colton Wong's on-base percentages from 2015 until 22. 321, 327, 376, 332, 361, 350, 335, 339 last year. Last year, triple slash of 251, 339 on base percentage and a 430 slug. That's good for a 769 OPS. That's a good player. And that's a damn good second baseman. You're talking about a 117 WRC plus from a second baseman last year. He had 15 home runs. He had 17 stolen bases and played an average second base. So if you're the Mariners and you traded for Colton Wong and that's what he produced last year, how is that Jerry DePoto's fault, right? So I don't understand unless you are like the age regression genius who knew that when Colton Wong hit 32 years old, he was going to fall off a cliff, but you're not. And so I, I I get really angry when people attack the Colton Wong acquisition because 
you know, do I think that he needs to be sat down for a while? Yeah. Do I think the Mariners have to think about replacing him eventually? Yes, I do. Like, you can't let him go on the entire season this way. But to blame Jerry DePoto for the acquisition is asinine. So last season against the, the other thing is the Mariners expected Dylan Moore to be a part of not a strict platoon at second base, but to be able to take some of the second the at bats against left-handers away from Colton Wong. Sam Haggerty could do the same. So in 22 against right-handed pitching, Colton Wong hit 277, 357 with an 845 OPS as a second baseman. That's against right-handed pitching. That's awesome. That's awesome. The Mariners certainly could use that right now, but that is a very good hitter. Against left-handers, he hit 138 which is why, again, the Mariners have Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty and right now Jose Caballero as well. So the acquisition of Wong, I don't think you can criticize the acquisition as much as be frustrated with the current results. Can we talk about the hitting coach? Probably. Can we talk about the approach? Probably. But the actual acquisition of these first two players, Taylor Hernandez and Colton Wong, I, I think is silly. And then A.J. Pollock the Mariners um, signed in order to basically platoon with or guard against Jared Kelnick against uh, left-handed pitching, or if they thought Taylor Trammell was going to be a part of this major league team, they signed him to a one-year $7 million contract. I'm not worried about the money. Um, But what Pollock is, is a career um, killer against left-handed pitching. So for his career, so for his career, AJ Pollock is a 279, 330, 849 OPS hitter against left-handed pitching. His sprint speed on Savant is still, um, I believe it's between uh, 80, 80th and 90th percentile. I will look that up real quickly here. Um, he plays an okay center field at this age. He's 35 years old, so he's not he's not nearly as fast as he or nearly as mobile as he used to be. But he's serviceable in left or in, in right field. So sprint speed is a 90. He's still fast. And he still can hit left-handed pitching. And so I don't have problems with the Pollock acquisition as well. Do the Mariners have that, you know, do they acquire that giant bat that was going to sit in the middle of the lineup and and that you could count on? They thought they had 80% of that with Taylor. And they still might. But to be critical of those three moves given their history is I think is silly. The only criticism again is that Teo is 30, Colton Wong is 32 and Pollock is 35. But when you go down the age of the players on the Mariners roster, you realize that if I was Jerry DePoto, I would say, I think this team needs some veteran, more veteran leadership. We're going to fill in holes with veterans that we think we can count on. JP is 28. Ty France is 28. Julio is 22. Kelnick is 23. Suarez is 31. Cal Raleigh is 26, right? Like this is a young team and the two stars, Julio and Kelnick are very young. So to be critical of the Mariners offense and the acquisitions that the that Jerry DePoto made in the off season is, is ludicrous to me. I didn't want to see the Mariners throw away a hundred or 177 to, you know, 300 plus million dollars for a shortstop that we're trying to unload four years from now. That's not the way, in my mind, that's not the way to build a dynasty. 
I know people will point to the Yankees. People will point to these huge market teams with all this money. But I think you can do it. You can sit in the middle of the Tampa Bay model of development and working the waiver wire and the Yankees of and the Dodgers of just outspending everybody and be successful. There's no one model that has proven to be the only model that works for building a championship team. So we'll come back tomorrow and talk about some potential trades that the Mariners can make. I'm not moving Taylor Scar out of the outfield. Um, I do think we, you can talk about second base at this point. At minimum, a right-handed bat at second base that can hit for do some damage where you can sprinkle in Colton Wong against some right-handed uh, pitching. I, I think that's an acceptable um, solution. And then certainly the DH spot for the Mariners really could use a big bat. And I, the positive thing about that is it's not incredibly costly to acquire a DH that can hit, um, especially later on in their career. So we'll talk about who the Mariners, some trade candidates for the Mariners. We'll talk about who the Mariners would deal potentially in order to acquire that, that hitter. Um, and then preview this upcoming two game set against the San Diego Padres. Um, am I worried about the Mariners? I'm really not. I, I'm probably in the bottom 5% as far as those who are worried about whether the Mariners are a contender and if they're doing the right thing. I believe Jerry DePoto has done the right thing up to this point. I think that the Mariners ability to develop pitching has been brilliant. Um, I don't hear people criticizing Jerry DePoto about acquiring an ace for a couple of prospects uh, towards the deadline last year and then signing into a five-year extension. I just hear the most recent uh, frustrations with the offense, which I think are, are unfounded. So Mariners right now, nine and a half games out, uh, 29 and 30 record, uh, faced a really great team currently in the Texas Rangers. I do think it's going to be an uphill battle. I do think the Mariners are looking more at a wild card. But I'm confident. Pitching wins, right? The Mariners have pitching. The Mariners have two superstars. Um, one just uber elite superstar. And I think that's the recipe for, that's the baseline to build a contender. So again, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk trade. We'll talk Padres. I'm going to keep beating the drum of, of stay the course. Mariners are smart. Not worried about it. Um, thanks for listening. Again, I'm Tino Ganasius. Thanks for listening to the Mariners podcast from Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20, T I N O J R 20, and the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E T H O S M A R I N E R S. Take care, y'all. Peace.